welcome to livealittlehigher.com. This week we read Parashash of Team, and Parashash of Team includes some laws concerning the acceptability of witnesses in a court. And there are two general types of witnesses that go into a Jewish court, a base team. So you have two types of, of, of witnesses. You have one type of witness that is called a clarifying witness. And then you have another type of witness, which is called the attesting witness. So the clarifying witness, as the name says it, is a, is a witness that is brought into a court of law to bring clarity to a dispute. And so, for example, if uh, someone was a lender, he came and borrowed money from someone, and, um, and this person hasn't paid the person what he's supposed to pay him. He made a, 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 a con contract with him that he was going to pay him, and he hasn't paid him, then the person that lent him the money can take him to a base dean, to a court of Jewish law, and, and, and ask for his loan, ask for his money back. And so this clarifying witness comes into the court and he testifies that this loan was actually true, that this person actually did lend this money. So he supports the claims that are made in the court. Then you have another type of witness, which is an attesting witness. And this witness is, uh, must be present when a particular legal procedure occurs. So he's not there to, to, to bring clarity to a situation. He comes to stand in a place and make sure of what is happening. So for example, when there's a wedding, when there's a Jewish wedding, uh, for the wedding to be accepted and be kosher, the ketubah, the contract, the marriage contract, to be a kosher marriage contract, the witness, there has to be two witnesses in the chuppah that attest to this wedding. And these two witnesses have to be Shomer Shabbat. They cannot be, for example, the brother of the groom or the brother of the bride. It has to be people that are not from the family. And there are certain specifications about these two witnesses. And also they are needed when, God forbid, a couple is getting a divorce, they also need to be in the moment where they're signing the get, the divorce papers, to attest that this man and this woman have divorced, or this man and this woman have been married. So, so the Rebbe it gives us an explanation, a spiritual explanation of this, uh, of this uh, a portion of the Torah uh, in one of his sihas. As we know, we've learned that the Torah has a body and it has a soul, and uh, there's a part of the Torah that is a practical uh, way of looking at the Torah, and then there's another dimension to the Torah, which is a mystical, spiritual um, aspect to what we're talking about. So whatever is going down in this world is also taking place up in the higher realms. It's a parallel. So the, there is further distinction between these two types of witnesses. The clarifying witnesses only become relevant when they appear before a court of law. If they're not named, called to go into a court of law, then they're irrelevant, they're nobody. And that they truly become the witnesses. They're truly witnesses when they have to come into a court of law and become uh, clarifying agents. And therefore the court has an obligation to perform its due diligence and interrogate 
these witnesses to make sure that they are being truthful and they what they're saying is the, is 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 what actually is going on but there is no obligation for the attesting uh, witnesses to be interrogated like if two people come to a wedding and the and the groom uh, chooses these two witnesses to be part of, of his chuppah, the, the, the rabbi doesn't need to interrogate him. He knows that these two witnesses are, are actually uh, right for the moment. So the testimony is only needed to ascertain that which is unknowable by other means. If something is known or eventually will become known, there is little need for a witness. So uh, here comes the spiritual aspect of this Torah portion uh, in which the Rebbe explains that we only need witnesses because we do not know what really took place behind closed doors between the lender and the borrower in this case. So the spiritual analogs of these two types of witnesses are the two types of witness witnesses that attest to the absolute transcendence of God's essence. So um, the, you need to have a clarifying witness and you need to have a, an attesting witness. So no testimony really is required in order to prove the existence of, of, of Hashem, of the imminent divine power that sustains creation. Like you don't need really a testimony that will tell you that the world runs because there is a higher power that is infusing it with life every second of the day. So it is enough for us to contemplate the order and operations of nature to deduce that such a power exists. So many of the sages, when they talk about the creation of the world and how a discerning person sits and meditates on the creation of the world and, and, and meditates on the, on the moon and the stars and the sun and the oceans and the mountains and vegetation and uh, all this creation and how everything is perfectly orchestrated and uh, and a person that is discerning and intelligent will come to the conclusion by his own he doesn't need any any witness to tell you I saw God creating the world so you can believe that there's a God a, a person that is discerning and intelligent will be able on his own conclusion to come with with this with this uh, belief so no testimony is even required to substantiate the existence of the transcendent divine power that brings reality into being just as the mind accepts the reality of immanent divinity it understands that the divinity cannot be the fullest expressions of God's potential so we know that Hashem is infinite we know that he contracted himself to create this world and make an a finite world from an infinite expression and intellect itself concludes that there must be an aspect of divinity that transcends our intellect that lies beyond our kin so yes what is faith what is faith faith is that we come up to here we have a sehel, we have a brain we have intellect we have wisdom understanding and knowledge and that's that's it we don't have more than that so faith really is to transcend our intellectual capacities and connect to a higher power to a higher truth and to say you know what i don't know everything i don't i i cannot understand everything but you know what i believe i believe 
From where I believe, I have no idea, but I believe. So what does require testimony? Where, why do we need testimony? And it is in the idea that God's essence is totally abstract, that is beyond not only our ability to understand, but also our ability to conceive. And the veracity of this idea must be established by witnesses. So because this is not logically imperative. So there are two types of testimony that support this idea, which is attesting and clarifying, like the two witnesses that we're talking about, the clarifying witness and the, and the testimony uh, and, the, and, um, and the witness that is, uh, that is um, sorry, that is attesting. Yes, clarifying and attesting. So the Torah, the Torah, attesting witnesses to the conceivable nature of God's essence are the Jewish people. So we, the Jewish people, are the ones that attest that Hashem does exist, that He, we are like these two witnesses in the chuppah that are watching a, a bride and a groom get married, and they're signing the ketubah and saying, we saw that these two people got married. So we, the Jewish people, we are these attesting witnesses to the conceivable nature of God's essence are the Jewish people. And so where heaven and earth only testify, because heaven and earth are the clarifying witnesses, they, they, they have infinite characteristics. The heavenly bodies exist eternally, and that is they do not exhibit any discernible change throughout the generations. Like the moon has been the moon since the, first, since the creation of the world. Like it's been the same moon hasn't changed like you see um, you, people think that some people come from the monkey right that it evolved but it's not true humankind has been the same humankind since the first man that was created which was Adam Harishon we haven't changed maybe we have become more refined and we dress more nicely and we eat nicely I don't know but the humankind has always been the same humankind. Animals have been the same animals. The oceans have been the same oceans. The, the stars, the moon, the sun have been the same, the same creation since the beginning. So what the sea has telling us uh, is that, the, that we, these things that were created by Hashem are, inter, are not interchangeable. They are the same forever and they persist forever and that is again without any discernible change throughout the generations does heaven and earth testify that there is a relatively infinite power embedded within creation an aspect of god that is utterly beyond our conception so we we know that we see this is how abraham came to believe in monotheism in only one god because he was lying down little boy he was looking at the sky he was looking at the moon he was looking at the stars he saw the same moon the same stars the night before and the sun came out the same the same way the next day from the east and went to the west and everything the creation was perfection and he said like if there is a creation there has to be a creator he is a little boy three-year-old boy he came to this conclusion on his own and he said, like, there, there has to be an owner to this house. And I want to know the owner because I want to thank him for this perfect world. And so this is 
This is what heaven and earth, they're clarifying witnesses. And the Jewish people, the Jewish people are the attesting witnesses which attest to this truth by studying the Torah, by performing God's mitzvot, and the Jewish people introduce the ineffability of God's essence into the physical world. So the crucial difference between these two testimonies is that while the testimony of heaven and earth do indeed allow the world to appreciate God's infinity, such testimony does not necessarily imply that the universe cannot exist apart from God. Like you see, you could think many people believe, yeah, God created the world and he went, he went away. This is, he left it. He left it to fend for itself. And sometimes we would feel like, okay, he left us alone. We're living in a, in a jungle. We, we're in survival mode here. But in reality, if you're a Jew that learns or a person that learns and knows God, knows God's ways, can come to appreciate God's infinity and know that Hashem not only created the world, but that He sustains it at every instant. He recreates it at every instant. He didn't leave us alone. And um, in contrast, the attestation of God's infinity expressed by our study of the Torah and fulfillment of the commandments implies explicitly that God's existence is the only true existence. So when we learn Torah, and we do mitzvot, we connect to an to a infinite God. That's what we're doing. When you're living your life just like this, you, you, you're not, you're, you, Hashem is sustaining you and you're breathing because He's vivifying you. But when a Jew learns Torah and does mitzvot, does Hashem's will, what he's doing is really he is attesting that Hashem is, is everything. There's nothing separate from Him. Everything is God. So He implies explicitly that God's existence is the only true existence. There's nothing else apart from God. Nothing else sustains the world. And so that all other forms of existence are contingent upon Him existing and that nothing exists, exists besides Him. And so this aligns with the legal distinction between these two forms of testimony outlined earlier, the clarifying witness only becomes relevant later on when their testimony is needed. Yeah, when a Jew is learning Torah, he's doing mitzvot, or, and he's doing Hashem's will, or any person in the world is living by this, by doing what Hashem wants from him, then he's attesting, he's attesting to, to, to Hashem's uh, uh, existence. So heaven and earth do not immediately testify to God's unity with the world. It takes time to discern God's infinity from within creation, and this will only truly be possible with the radical revelation of godliness in the messianic era, which is when Hashem will be visible and accessible in our lives, like the Shekhinah of Hashem is going to be felt and seen, that's when Mashiach is going to reveal himself, the, the revelation of Hashem is going to be obvious. Nowadays he's concealed, we don't see him. The only thing we can do is, is follow him, follow him, and when a person is following God and is doing what Hashem really desires for, for, for the world from him, what he's doing is through his actions, he is bringing revelation 
of God into the world. But otherwise, when Mashiach comes, you're going to be able to see Hashem in everything. You're going to be able to see how He sustains the world, how, every, how He's involved in everything. So, attesting witnesses, however, become witnesses immediately. Our Torah and mitzvot immediately affect change, drawing down God's essential self into creation. It is only that this change will not be noticeable until the Messianic era. But the testimony completes the act nonetheless. It's interesting, uh, but in life, sometimes Hashem gives us a gift to be able to see our, our, our Avodah. He's, he gives us a gift to be able to see our, our work in this world. It's a gift. When, you, when you're able to, to tap into your goodness and see what comes out of it, it's, it's, it's such a big gift. But when Mashiach comes, this is going to be so much more revealed. Um, there's a story, for example, when I used to visit the hospital uh, before COVID, there was once um, a man that I came into his room and he was a, very, a man, he had no leg. I guess he was a diabetic and they were, they were um, discharging him uh, from the hospital that day. And the friend where he was a roommate with, he paid a room in his house, I guess, uh, came to tell him that he couldn't come to his house anymore because his, his family was coming from out of town and he needed the room. And this man was so desperate. And he said, when I just came into the room with the challah bread and the, and the grape juice to wish him a good Shabbos, he started crying when he saw me and he says, if they take me out of this hospital today, I'm going to lie down in the middle of the street so a car can go over me and that's going to be the end of me because I don't know what I'm going to do. I have nowhere to go. So I saw him, I, he, his name was interesting name, Korach, very strange name. And, um, and I said to him, you know what, you stay here, you don't move anywhere until I call you and I, and I let you know but don't go anywhere you stay here so i called a friend and she was from the jewish federation and i asked her look what what can we do with this man i don't know what, what to do with him I, I have no resources to help him what can we do with him so she says well usually we don't do these things but let me call a social worker i know and let's see what we can do so she called the social worker this is really like three hours before shabbos and uh and she calls her the social worker and uh right before shabbat she called me and she says margie don't worry the social worker is going to pick him up and he's gonna go to a special home to an old age home where they're gonna be taking care of him so he he was not old he was relatively young but he was sick and that was the end of the story i never knew anything else about him many like two years later maybe i go back to the hospital to visit and i look at the list and i see that in intensive care there's a coda it has to be the same man <laughs> i've never seen a person with that name has to be the same man so i went into intensive care went to the the, the room where he was and when i came in he was sitting in a chair and he saw me come in and he smiled and he said i'm so happy i'm seeing you I always wanted to thank you because then I, and I looked at him and said, so what happened to you? I, I never knew. I knew they took you to this place, but I never knew anything else. 
and he said to me, you don't know, they took me to this place, you don't know how they take care of me there, I'm not alone, I have friends, I have activities all day, I'm the happiest person, they feed me, they help me, they give me my medicine, I'm the happiest person on earth. So sometimes Hashem does give you a little, a little tasting of Mashiach, you know, he, he gives you that little tasting of allowing you to see what you have done in your life. But most of the time, you, you, this type of kindness that you do in your life, you have no idea what happens afterwards. But in reality, there's a ripple effect and there's a lot going on. So these two types of witnesses are reflected in the different ways we can approach our divine mission in life. Most aspects of this mission make perfect sense and therefore a cursory reflection on the nature of human life at most is required to motivate us to dedicate ourselves to this mission enthusiastically. And furthermore, even the occasional need for self-sacrifice can for the most part be well understood logically, since logic can admit that it is sometimes necessary to override logic, resorting to a supra-logical mean, means to accomplish logical ends. But the highest form of dedication to Hashem, to the divine mission, to your purpose and, and fulfillment in this world, is unlimited. There's no limit to it. Unconditional self-sacrifice that ignites, ignores logic altogether. When you tap into logic, you live inside the natural world. Hashem creates both worlds, the natural order and He creates the infinite order, you know? So, but when you tap into infinitude and you just go and you say, okay, I'm going to help this person, I'm going to make this phone call, I'm going to do whatever is in my hands, I'm going to do what I have to do, Hashem does His magic. And that's where we defy logic and we tap into infinitude. So such self-sacrifice can only stem from the sense of self-identification with God that is wholly beyond the ability of the intellect to conceive. So I wish you a blessed week. We're in the month of Elul. It's a month in which we uh, redirect our 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 consciousness to God. It's a month in which we really have to connect to our Creator, to open our eyes, to ask Him to help us find our way. He's in the field, the King is accessible, to clarify your life, to let you see life in a clear way that you are able to do what you have to do in this world. And in that way, you will live a little higher. So I wish you a blessed year, a blessed, yeah, we should be uh, wishing everybody now a blessed year. You should be inscribed in the book of life with good health and joy and uh, live a little higher. Thank you.